Hello and welcome back to Tank 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. On today's episode, I shall be discussing a very personal topic, or a selection of topics, shall we say. It's not going to be a singular film review today, I'm just going to be talking through my own personal experiences of films that I watched as a kid, and just growing up in general. So films that I experienced for the first time with that sense of naivety and that sense of, you know not really understanding everything but just enjoying the film because it was there and because it entertained me which to be fair is the primary reason of most films these days and should always be one of the first reasons that films are made is for entertainment or at least one of the main primary reasons obviously certain films do more specific justice to serious topics and are meant as educational tools whereas others are literally just made for the pure enjoyment of the viewer or in this case the kid so for me these are my personal selections of films i've got a nice little list here of films that i experienced when i was growing up and ones that have stuck in my mind ever since and to be honest some of them you know people say oh we watch things back and we think oh god how cringe is that you know about our own personal lives or things that we used to think were cool but aren't cool anymore or interesting or even any good at all Whereas I feel like a lot of these still hold up to this day. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I mean, there are a few cheesy, cringy moments along the way, but these are just my personal picks. So I hope you enjoy them and I hope that they inspire a little bit of nostalgia in you, dear listener. Uh, I hope that you guys find out and remember some of the films that you watched in your younger years then and the films that you enjoyed so much that you just kept watching them over and over again there's definitely films on this list that i'm about to read out to you that i could not stop watching for ever and a day now what i'll do first though is i'll just a little disclosure i did watch a lot of classic films when i was younger which isn't as normal for some kids as others but I experienced the likes of the original Star Wars trilogy, uh, Grease, uh, Footloose, and films like that. I experienced those films at a semi-early age, not obviously as a young child, but I experienced those films growing up before, like in my like pre-teens, early teens, and that's how I became the person I am today. Uh, my love of musical-based films and films that involve highly strong soundtracks that are really infused with that great poppy sense then that you get so the likes of the 80s films like dirty dancing and fame even which i only discovered when i was a little bit older obviously due to certifications that you get here in the uk and just like you would in like america ireland and everywhere else in the world etc um but the main point being is these films are films that i were released when i was a kid and that I experienced for the first time when I was a child and well to early double digits then shall we say so anywhere between from my birth films that came out around that time after I was born all the way up to somewhere where I was around like eight nine ten ish or so uh, but yeah I hope you enjoyed these picks and let's get on with the episode firstly I'll address the obvious one in the room and that is from 1999 
so not long after I was born, those of you who know me will be able to work out when I was born, because there are several clues as to when I was born uh, and how old I actually am. So 1999, I experienced this probably a little bit after it was released as well, so I wouldn't have seen it in the cinema, but I would have watched this on a VHS videotape. Uh, and then I experienced this one over and over again. I feel like I watched this one more than its original film. So this is the sequel to the original Toy Story. So this is Toy Story 2, which was released in 1999. And honestly, it was just an amazing film that really captured my imagination. I remember owning all the toys. I'm pretty sure they're still in a box somewhere in a cupboard. And I just owned all of them and loved creating my own adventures like... Toy Story making out that they were the actual toys from the film uh, and I remember specifically the things that stick in my mind about Toy Story 2 the most is the the scene where they have to run across Buzz and the gang have to run across to find Woody the road they run across this road uh, and they're hidden under traffic cones and they try, and then there's they cause all this chaos and there's a big massive concrete cinder block thing cylinder cinder block that rolls towards them and it nearly crushes potato head and because he gets his foot stuck in a piece of gum that's on the floor and their little mission to try and get to owl's toy barn the toy shop which is again the next thing i would say about this film that i remember the most so after the traffic cone one i remember them going into the toy shop and meeting the barbie dolls in the barbie aisle and meeting the other Buzz Lightyear, the pimped up Buzz Lightyear action figure that's got the new utility belt, which becomes the second Buzz and the rise of the Zerg. Zerg, which we'd heard about so infamously on the back of the packaging of Buzz Lightyear in the first film, and he's been mentioned as well. And we didn't get to ever see him until this moment. And if you followed the from the first film, you think, oh, who's this Emperor Zerg? And we actually get to see the toy version of him. I just think that... Toy Story 2, I've said this about this film on other episodes, it levels up from the last one very easily. And as a kid, I just enjoyed it so much. It was so much fun. Uh, in fact, actually, not so much Toy Story 2, but a little shout out to the Good Times Bad Movies podcast. I don't actually know which one of you guys uh, submitted it, whether it was Tim or Paul. Uh, but you guys submitted on our poll that we put out on the Instagram page, Toy Story, the original Toy Story from 1995 as being one of your favourite films that you saw as a kid in the cinema. Obviously, these guys are a much different age to me, so they probably remember it a little bit more than I do and didn't have to watch it on a more grainy VHS tape quality and actually got to watch it in a multiplex, I would hope, anyway. Uh, but I think that, you know, it's that shared love, no matter what generation you are, be it actually someone who saw it in the cinema or you watched it on a home media format. Toy Story is a very collective shared experience um i even went to see toy story the original one in concert as it were as they say those one of those special screenings where i got to see it at the birmingham symphony hall uh, where they showed the film on a screen in this lovely theater space and they had a full orchestra with a conductor and everything in front just below the screen performing for us all the music even the singing bass tracks with Randy Newman's vocals on top all the music to that so the only thing that was being played that was you know pre-recorded was the vocals of the songs and all the audio foley sound effects and everything else that's in the film was being played live and that to me was a very enlightening experience because 
it's taking me back to a sense of childhood, but adding an extra layer to it of appreciation because you get to experience this different format. Uh, so I really do appreciate the Good Times Bad Movies podcast for submitting Toy Story as one of their favourite films that they watched as a kid in the cinema. So big shout out to Tim and Paul, who, whichever one of you guys submit that one. Much love and appreciate there. Again, please check out their podcast as well because they are well worth a listen. But continuing on with my favourite picks, like I said, Toy Story 2. Big one for me because I loved it. I collected all the toys. Big, big fan of Toy Story. The next thing, though, is a little bit more closer to what I do nowadays, and that's collecting films on home media. And I actually got a collector's edition, special collector's set of this next film. And it was, again, it was released in 1999, originally theatrically. But I imagine I didn't see this until maybe mm, several, uh, about maybe four years after this, maybe, I'm guessing, quite a, like a few years after when they started putting everything onto VHS. Uh, and they have this special collector's edition, and it's The Iron Giant, Ted Hughes' The Iron Giant. So it's based on a book, uh, and this collector's edition that I own, which I'll be sure to share a picture of this, or at least show it on the Instagram at some stage, there is a book which the film is based on, which is featured in this collector's box. It's a nice, chunky box. It features the film on VHS tape with a book with the cover of the film, the same cover that you get on the VHS tape, and a little toy action figure. It's not really that poseable. It only has like about five measures of articulation, I think. You know, it's just the arms, the legs, and I think the head maybe as well. Um, but it's just a little grey plastic action figure of the Iron Giant. And I was obsessed with that. So much so that I actually think I probably damaged the value of it because I broke the plastic film bit that covers the Iron Giant figure itself, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> this was one of the most treasure possessions I'd ever owned, and quite frankly, I just loved it to pieces. And again, this film I watched quite a lot and enjoyed so much that I think I probably... I don't know, I'm surprised that I didn't break the VHS by rewinding it so much. <laughs> and a similar story I will tell about a certain film which I watched at the cinema, and I have watched the DVD over and over. I still have the original copy, and I'll get onto that in just a minute. But a few more films to mention. Another film that was released in 1999 that I adore is The Prince of Egypt, a biblical musical epic that tells the story of Moses and all of his, like, you know, the story that everybody might who's been educated and taught about uh, the Bible in some respect, um, the story of Moses, and it's he's the Prince of Egypt, and it's a very interesting film of its time. Some serious stuff being shadowed into a kids' movie. Uh, I'm not really sure where they got that from. But then again, saying that though, there was I think there's a film which I've never watched, but I've seen the trailer for called The Miracle Maker, which has got the weirdest stop motion animation ever, and it looks really creepy. And I don't understand how it was ever marketed as a kid's film, but it was, and it deals with crucifixion, and there's bloody images on there as well, and him being tied to the cross, almost butt naked. Uh, I don't understand. If anybody else actually has seen The Miracle Maker, please let me know, because I've only ever seen the trailer for it, and I'd like to know what your thoughts on The Miracle Maker are. I'm pretty sure it's called The Miracle Maker. Uh, the animation's very creepy. Uh, and that sort of brings me on to my sort of next stage, really. I've talked about Toy Story, which was a feat in technical innovation of 3D animation, and obviously The Iron Giant's a 2D animated film as well. 
Um, other films I could mention, Prince of Egypt, like I said, is 2D animated based as well. I think it's DreamWorks, um, which is slow, which is very well connected to some more films that I have put onto this list as well. But a film I'd like to point out uh, that I remember very vividly watching and thinking, my God, this is creepy. This is very weird. Is a live action slash stop motion animated crossover film adaptation of Roald Dahl's James and the Giant Peach. Uh, and it was directed by none other than Henry Selleck, who, if anybody knows Henry Selleck's name, they will know him for Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. So he was the guy behind that massive sort of, even though it wasn't a success at the time, if anybody's seen the Netflix documentary on the movies that made us, the holiday movies that made us, you'll know that it wasn't a success at first. But Nightmare Before Christmas, the style, even though that's Tim Burton, that was seeping in to Henry Selleck's work on James and the Giant Peach. And there was, like, it's really strange because James becomes this weird stop-motion animated character who lives in this stop-motion animated peach with all these creepy characters well, the characters themselves probably aren't meant to be that creepy because it's a Roald Dahl book. Although, saying that though, Willy Wonka is confirmed to be probably the creepiest guy ever if you really look into it, depending on which version you look at. Especially if you're looking at the Gene Wilder one. But, the thing I would say about all of this though, is that James and the Giant Beach sticks in my mind because it had that effect on me. Because the animation was so distinct and unique. And I love the fact that now looking back on it, yeah, it's weird. It's still weird to this day, but it was something they did this weird, amazing technical innovation by mixing live action and animation together for a kid's film. And to be honest, that's what we get out of most films these days. We get this cross between live action humans and animated talking characters. For instance, I went to recently see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in the cinema because, you know, I did grow up playing a little bit of Sonic on a, a PlayStation or any sort of game system. I've played various versions of Sonic and I thought I'll give it a go. I watched the first one at home with my girlfriend and then I went to see the second one because I was so invested in it and it unlocked so many memories and nostalgia for the games bring it into a film universe and I do think actually that the film company Sega guys even though there was controversy about Sonic's look originally before they released the film the first one anyway I think they did a really good job on it uh, at least in my opinion some people would say elsewise but I think that it was a really good one to watch and it's a good one for kids to watch these days and it gives them I feel it's the modern day equivalent films like you know, you get the likes of Tom and Jerry, which wasn't a great film, but Tom and Jerry and Sonic the Hedgehog, all these kind of like iconic characters that mix in with these live action counterparts. So in this case, James Marsden in the live action Sonic film. And you get this sense of, oh my God, childhood unlocked. Because for me, the mixture of seeing the live action characters link in with the animated characters i hadn't seen something like that until since james and the giant peach really and also in other areas other films which i shall mention later in this episode um, but for me james and the giant peach really sort of brings that idea that most filmmakers who made kids films weren't just making them for kids they were making family movies 
films that the kids could enjoy, be scared at, but in, still get a thrill out of, and something that the adults wouldn't mind watching at the same time. That's why you'll find so many of these films from the 20th century, particularly in like the 1980s, 90s, why they are so creepy and why they seem so strange and offbeat and a bit out of character for a traditional kids movie is because when they were making these films, they weren't just making them for children like they do nowadays. They make them for adults as well. And I feel like that's the one thing that I think kids movies these days lose is that connection to the adult audience, the insider jokes that adults will only get and the kids will be a bit clueless to. Obviously some probably for the better, but others I think that it's very much a case of we've lost that sense of magic. Uh, and like I said, this mixture between live action and stop motion animation was just something that I was blown by when I was a kid. I thought it was creepy and weird, but now I feel I appreciate it even more so. And this brings me back to a film that I would like to mention to you guys, a film that I had forgotten about until the conversation I was having the other day with someone and I also recently went to a car boot sale and I found this film. I found the DVD. I had to get it because it was it was 50p, so very cheap. It was very cheap for what normal DVD rates go for. Like, it was very cheap. And I thought, you know what, I'll pick it up and relive some nostalgia from my childhood. And that is Thomas the Tank Engine and the Magic Railroad which is a film that was released in the year 2000. And I'm pretty sure that when this was released, I do remember watching this when it originally came out. And this film, as you can tell, it's about Thomas the Tank Engine, the trains, all the train characters that talk and everything that were in the famous books that everybody, or at least of a certain generation, will know the Thomas the Tank Engine books that were made so popular for several years. And... Uh, so beloved by children across at least England in particular, I'll say this now. <laughs> um, but this film starred Alec Baldwin and it was directed by Britt Alcroft, released in 2000. And I think it was probably my first insight into the magic of the movies. Because although, like, yes, I mentioned James and the Giant Peach, the 1996 film, that was released before I was born. And this one particularly, I actually saw it came out. I, it was something I was interested in. I loved Thomas the Tank Engine as a kid, and this film really epitomised everything I wanted. So, like, nowadays, I would say if they made a Doctor Who movie, I would go and see the Doctor Who movie. Or, you know, if my favourite character, for instance, from, I don't know, a TV show was made into a film, I would pay to go and see that film. Or, you know, if there's a musical that I like and they're adapting it from the stage to the cinema, I would go and see that. This was exactly the same, except it was Thomas the Tank Engine. They were making a film of it, they made a film of it, and I loved it. I literally was obsessed with it for the longest time. When I said at the beginning of this episode there will be some cringy moments here and there, this film is very cheesy, it's very kid-orientated. It's the start of that cycle of films that we now get where you don't get as many in-jokes for the adults, but you do get a little bit still in this one, but I enjoy the film so much because I was a fan of the TV show and that is 
what really anchored me into this one. You know, Toy Story 2, it's a sequel to the first one, and we get a new adventure, we meet new toys, that's the whole point. We meet new characters and we get to expand the universe. That's what sequels do. I explained that in my sequels episode. But the Iron Giant, it's a book adaptation, it's a simple story of, like, an outsider being accepted by a community, or at least by one kid, and him trying to sort of turn them around and make them think that he's not so much of a bad person, even though he's strange and different from everyone else. Very much like E.T., the Steven Spielberg film. Same M.O., but animated and based on a book, but we won't go into too much detail about that one. Uh, And then James and the Giant Peach is another book adaptation, but it's from the mind of Roald Dahl, so naturally you're going to have some creative creepiness going on there when you adapt that book. But Thomas the Tank Engine really was, like I said, it's in the title, The Magic Railroad. It really captured everything that I loved, and then some. And to see people like real people interact with my favourite TV show character at the time, I was just mind-blown. I was really just out of this world mind-blown. And the thing is, it's one of those just basic kids' stories. There's an adventure... We were introduced to this character of Emily, the really prestigious train who is buried for so long and then she gets unveiled and she's the key to solving the problem and very classic kid stuff. But I think that my memories of some of these films are because of their emotional impact and I I think I might have touched on this a little bit already, but the impact of a film emotionally doesn't always hit you as hard as a kid sometimes, unless you're of a certain age. I feel like the older I got, so like more towards like six, seven, eight, whatever I was at certain points in my life, when specific films came out, I really latched onto the emotional side of things. So like Toy Story 2, I didn't latch onto Jessie's story. I thought it was a sad moment when she got left by her owner, but I didn't really think much of it. Like I remember the hunt for Woody in the toy store, a bit with the Buzz Lightyear's, Zerg, um, the Pizza Planet truck going around the corner and the, you saved our lives, we're eternally grateful. Uh, and I remember the final setup, the um, jump from the plane and the whole bit in the airport security bit with the hand baggage and stuff like that, where they're going in and out of these travelator things for whatever they're called for the luggage in the airport back room. Uh, I remember the action bits more when I was younger than the emotional side, whereas certain films when I get older, I remember the sentiment of Emily in Thomas the Tank Engine and the Magic Railroad, and I remember the the threat that the gold dust was running out and the magic was running out as well, and the conductors, I just, I love the outfits of the conductors. If anybody remembers this film, please tell me that I'm not the only one that remembers how cool I thought that the... Uh, conductors were and the magic gold dust that they used to travel between the worlds as it were and how miniature Alec Baldwin was when he went to join Thomas in the magic railroad road land or whatever it was but then I I think you like I said as you get older you experience different things and this brings me on to my sort of highlight and one of my absolute favorite films as a kid and I know I said that about Toy Story and Thomas the Tank Engine um, but this one truly was my actual favorite Uh, In 2005, a film came out, and I don't know how I got into it. I was very obsessed with it very quickly, and I collected all the little model cars ever since. And as I just said the title, I might as well just say it anyway. It is Cars, the 2005 Disney Pixar film with the likes of, you know, Owen Wilson playing Lightning McQueen in the main role. And I just, that film, I cannot tell you. I watched it at the cinema with my dad. I went to... 
buy the DVD and I've watched that DVD. I've still owned the DVD that I've had since then. I haven't got rid of it on the basis that it just has too much memory for me. Like I could upgrade to Blu-ray or just get rid of it because of Disney Plus. But I absolutely adored Cars. Like the emotional value of how a once popular beauty spot like this town was bypassed by something new and exciting that was meant to open up new opportunities. But for them, it didn't. This road, this highway that bypassed them completely, this little community and you know the emotional value that really hit me but then at the same time I still managed to enjoy the the racing and all the elements of comedy that were involved in this film it has the emotional charm that you get in Toy Story but even more so and I just and the animation obviously is even better by this point in 2005 because it's quite funny because The Incredibles hadn't long come out before Cars, yet the animation for Cars is ten times better than a lot of the work in The Incredibles ever was, which only came, I think it was a year before, but I love the way they brought personalities to these motorised vehicles, and like I said, I played the DVD over and over and over again. I'm really surprised that it's not broken. <laughs> I'm genuinely surprised. And, you know, Lightning McQueen, Kachow, it's just something that is stuck it's certain catchphrases that you get stuck in your head i enjoyed cars utterly and totally um people will say that's the worst pixar film ever ups much better or you know toy story is better but for me personally i love cars the sequel was rubbish i will say this now i mean it was okay but it was basically doing the classical oh, we're gonna take them around the world now and um they really weren't in the best place with that one there was some interesting characters they added they added michael kane in as an aston martin i'll give them that but at the same time i don't think it worked um cars 3 really should have been cars 2 the story of cars 2 and then they should have just left it at that because i think cars 3 was much more of a sequel then to the original story of the first film than the second one ever was the second one is sequel fodder and it really wasn't that good at all and I think that's why many people don't really regard Cars 3 at all really because they write it off as rubbish because of the fact that Cars 2 was so poor they expect very little and people just didn't give it a chance I mean I didn't even bother watching it until very recently in the past year or so and I actually was like damn I actually really like this and it was a really emotional story like the first one was uh, but like i said cars 2005 you can tell that i'm very passionate about that one so <laughs> um moving on as well to the next film that i'd like to mention as well or films one was released in 2001 and its sequel in 2004 and again these are the sort of things that i didn't see in the cinema so cars the first one i saw in the cinema i remember watching it very clearly Whereas this one I watched on home media, I watched on DVD, both of these films, and that is Shrek and Shrek 2. And I love those films to pieces, especially Shrek 2. It's one of my personal favourite sequels of all time as well. Uh, and I enjoy it mainly because on the DVD you get the bonus feature, the king of all bonus features. And it's the most cheesiest bonus feature ever, but I still enjoy playing it nowadays. And it's the Far, Far Away Idol, which is a rip-off of American Idol, and it's got Simon Cowell in it. <laughs> which for anyone in Britain or even America who knows who Simon Cowell is, the media mogul that is him, the music mogul, his presence in Shrek 
with all these characters was just goddamn hilarious. And I loved the fact you had that interactivity on a DVD disc menu. Again, this was a big thing in the early 2000s where DVDs added that layer of interactivity. You can do it with Blu-rays, so Blu-ray Live, uh, that was a thing for a certain amount of time, but it's not as popular now. Whereas I feel with that, I just got the buzz, because you used to get these things of play the game along with the film whilst watching the film and add bookmarks and all this stuff. I never used to do it, but the only one I did used to do was Far, Far Away Idol. And for me, every time I watch Shrek, if I put it on the DVD, if someone hasn't put it on a streaming service, I will always play the game straight afterwards, every single time. Um, does anybody remember the game Far, Far Away Idol, the little interactive bit after Shrek 2 on the DVD? If anybody has ever experienced it, please let me know, because I really loved that. It was just something that summed up my generation for, like, what we had access to. So, you know, loads of people have online games that they play and stuff that they like to share and do weird things with, like, you know, social media games and such like that little simple arcade based things whereas this one was just the real mccoy so i really truly loved it so anybody who remembers that please let me know and since we're talking about shrek i'd like to give another shout out um to billy morton who starred on the podcast in the hitchcock episode he suggested shrek 2 as one of his favorite films that he saw in the cinema as a kid uh he said actually shrek 2 Best birthday party ever. <laughs> so I can only assume, I didn't get any elaboration on that, but I can only assume that, Billy, you saw that as part of your birthday celebrations that year, and I truly hope that that year was the best birthday ever. Even if it didn't have Far, Far Away Idol involved, I feel like it would have been a great experience to see in the cinema. And in terms of, on an epic scale, seeing films in the cinema, I there are two films that I remember seeing for the first time, and they were the beginning of franchises. One spawned a further two films and then just sort of died down after that even though it had potential for more and the other was kind of halfway through the series of films uh that one was harry potter and the goblet of fire so the fourth harry potter film in the franchise uh, i remember going to see that with one of my best friends at the time uh, i went to see that for his birthday i went to see it at an odeon cinema in oxford if i remember correctly and we went to see the film and I remember, I think it was a big deal for me because it was one of the very earliest films that I saw that was a 12, I want to say. Obviously, in the UK, 12A, 12s, you have to be the age of 12 or accompanied by an adult to watch those in the cinema if you're a little bit younger. And that truly was, you know, the magic of Harry Potter. That's where it started for me. I really wish I'd seen my favourite Harry Potter film on the big screen, The Prisoner of Azkaban. That was the one before. But, you know, you can't relive these things, can you? So my first experience was The Goblet of Fire. Um, and I remember being very encapsulated by the magic of things, which brings me back to actually the live-action fantasy film that really sort of caught my eye and I was really desperate to see it. So, you know, like nowadays people are like, I really want to go and see this Marvel film. I want to go and see that film. It looks epic or this biopic or this horror film, you know, anything that you're into. The film that I was really desperate to see back in 2005, along with Cars, was The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. <laughs> uh, that film, and it was produced by Disney as well, uh, Warner Media, if I remember correctly, was the overall company. I absolutely was nuts about that. I'd never read the book. 
I just saw this and I thought, this looks cool. My mum and dad told me about the stories, the original C.S. Lewis books. I think I did get around to reading it at some point, um, but I remember being very obsessed with the merchandise. I collected all the toys and I even collected some like merchandise, like sort of like freebie books. Then I think McDonald's actually did little toys related to the film because that was a thing actually as well back in those days they don't do it as much now but like toys relating to the latest big film they would do at mcdonald's and i used to remember being obsessed with trying to collect all the toys it was a big crazy thing which obviously we don't do as much anymore because of like recycling and trying to decrease our plastic usage and stuff of single-use plastics but i do feel like it's one of those moments that you'll never get back again unless you try to recreate it and even if you recreated it if people started doing that again or even if they still do it i don't think it'll be quite the same that cross-media marketing where you get kids into something they have a film they love and they want to get the toys to match with it every time they go to a fast food restaurant <laughs> but then at the end of the day the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe. Um, yeah, I collected all the toys as well. Not just Happy Meal toys, but other toys as well. Um, I did the same as well for another one. This I'll mention this one. Revenge of the Sith. I remember specifically the marketing campaigns for Revenge of the Sith. So Star Wars Episode 3. The final episode of the prequel trilogy, which not many people hold in great regard. But I remember getting all the toys for that as well. And I feel like, you know, they did it in... I've looked it up as well. I've watched the... Doc documentary series on netflix about like the toys that made us and i think it's he-man and teenage mutant ninja turtles power rangers all these like toys that would be matched against the tv show to sort of boost the marketing for each other they used to do that a lot especially with like big franchises like, like harry potter star wars um those kind of things they i think they did it a little bit for the hunger games at one point as well later on but you get the gist of it and I just think that you won't capture that ever again. Like, yeah, you were in the moment if you lived in that moment. And for me, films like Shrek and Shrek 2, you know, they didn't benefit from marketing with, like, toys and stuff, but they sort of sold themselves on the comedy and on the value of the film. Whereas things like Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, Star Wars, they relied on their merchandise to really enhance their market and get their audience involved and get kids playing with lightsabers and you know the laser guns and everything so back to the film itself though narnia the line the witch in the wardrobe that was the first in an installment of films uh there was only three in the end there was that one then there was prince caspian and voyage of the dawn treader i don't think i even watched voyage of the dawn treader actually to be fair um some people say it was all right i think i heard otherwise but prince caspian was a bit mm, hit and miss really but the original one is that original story it's not the first book in the series of c.s lewis books but it's the book that most people remember and to me i remember again it was the same guy the same friend that i went with to see harry potter and the goblet of fire he came with me to see narnia and for my birthday if i remember correctly and he actually enjoyed it quite a lot surprisingly which was quite funny because i didn't think he would be into it i thought he only really went along with Harry Potter because it was the latest release and, you know, everyone liked Harry Potter at some stage when they were younger, but I thought he just came along because it was, you know, I invited him. It was a free day out, but he actually enjoyed it. Uh, and I do remember 
jumping at the moment where I think there's a wolf or something or something transforms into a wolf and there's a big jump scare and it literally makes me jump out of my skin almost every time. Um, I don't, don't think so much now, but it was something that I remember. Uh, and Tilda Swinton as the Ice Queen, the Snow Queen, she was literally so creepy and so convincing in the role. Liam Neeson voices Aslan. It's another weird thing to look back on that Liam Neeson, the Taken guy, is the voice of the Jesus-like lion, <laughs> practically, that C.S. Lewis wrote all those years ago. And then all the young child stars. I can't. I don't even know where they all are now these days. I haven't done my research on them, but to be honest, I will never see them as anything else except Peter, Susan, Lucy, and I think it's Edward, want to say? No, Edmund, Edmund. Edmund the Traitor, who was basically the Judas in this situation, because C.S. Lewis's books were all, like, based on, like, Bible-like stories as well, so there was that always that connection. But as a kid, I didn't pick up any of that subtext. I just saw the film as it was, uh, and I didn't cry when Aslan got killed. Spoiler alert there. Uh, but I, you know, I think it's because I knew secretly that this was a happy film and that things all get worked out in the end. It's not as unpredictable as some films that you can get nowadays, but, you know, it's a kid's film at the end of the day. That's all I have to say about it. Moving on after that one. So, like I said, Thomas the Tank Engine, Cars, Toy Story, all these animated films, they really capture my imagination. Shrek 2, and especially out of the two Shreks. Uh, Prince of Egypt, again. There's something about, like, I think you can tell about a person, sort of, I learned about the Prince of Egypt kind of through school because they showed it us in primary school and it's a film that you know you're expected to sort of watch because it's based around Jesus and the Bible and stuff like that so that obviously shows the kind of school that I went to and they would teach you using this film obviously they'd always do the disclaimer at the beginning going this isn't 100% accurate it's just a version of events and uh, I to be honest, I enjoyed it so much. I didn't really care about the educational value. I thought the film was really interesting. And I think you can still get away with watching it, even not as a kid now. And just as pure entertainment. But that's just me at the end of the day. So one final thing that I will mention. I've got a couple of mentions of some of favourite films from our fellow podcast community. And also I've got a little clip as well for you, which I shall move on to now. So... I have been sent a voice audio clip from my good friend Ace from Films Unchained podcast, who will be doing a very interesting collaboration with yours truly very soon, and I can't wait to announce that. But for now, here is Ace's take. Take it away, Ace. What's going on, David? And take 97 of Film Podcast listeners. This is Ace of the Films Unchained podcast. As you know, a frequent collaborator with David when it comes to Stanley Kubrick and, of course, on his episode, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There will be more collaborations with David and I together, so watch out for that. So when I think of the movies back in my childhood, I will focus at the age of seven, because that was the age of just watching a lot of movies. When I watched Batman Forever, I thought it was the best Batman movie of all time. The gadgets, the costume, and the Batmobile were so cool to watch as a kid. The Riddler was kind of funny, so I had to give him that. And I loved watching Jim Carrey as a kid. And Nicole Kidman, I thought it was, she was the most beautiful woman when I was seven years old. So I just loved watching the film over and over and over again. 
But another film that came to mind that's just like my go-to when it comes to, you know, having happy thoughts and just having these wonderful memories has to be Peter Pan, the 1950s version. I just loved the music. I loved the story. I loved, you know, Peter Pan, Wendy, Michael, John, and of course, Nana. And let's not forget Captain Hook and Mr. Smee. Whenever they come into the movie, I just loved watching them. When Captain Hook yells at him all the time, and the way Captain Hook yells Smee was just the funniest thing as a kid. I To this day, I loved watching this film, and whenever he just yells Smee, it, it just gets me. I just remember the old childhood memories. And another Disney movie that comes to mind is Fun and Fancy Free. Whenever I watch it, I just sit down. Is there something good about it? It just brings the nostalgia. It just it brings these wonderful childhood feelings that, you know, I wish that I could go back to. But, you know, we have to move on, but the nostalgia is still there. So, yeah, in general, Batman Forever, Peter Pan, and Fun and Fancy Free were my go-to childhood movies. And that's all I have sharing my thoughts. I will get back to David with his episode. So thank you, David, for letting me share my thoughts, and we'll see you soon. Ace of the Films Unchained podcast signing out. Thank you very much there, Ace. That's very much appreciated. I can't wait to hear some more from you in the future. Keep your eyes peeled, guys, for a collaboration coming very soon. But next up, I have another audio clip to give you as well. It's from Lee from the Lights Camera Rant podcast. Please give him a check out as well. And here's his little clip voice note to let you know about his favourite childhood films. So uh, take it away, Lee. Hi, everyone. My name is Lee, and I host the Lights Camera Rant podcast. David has asked me to talk about my favourite childhood movie, which has to be Atlantis The Lost Empire. I remember seeing this as a kid, and I was just blown away on the edge of my seat. A big adventure film, you know, and Michael J. Fox is a titular character, Milo, because I love Back to the Future. And I remember seeing the trailer for the first time, and I was like, I have to go see it. And it was just on the edge of my seat, went with my old man. I loved it from start to finish. You know, just the whole idea of a lost world going, you know, going underwater. I was just blown away and still I watch it to this date. So you guys, uh, that is my favorite childhood movie. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Thank you very much there, Lee. That was great there. I haven't actually watched that film in the longest time, and I've actually forgotten until this very moment that Michael J. Fox was a voice character in that. So thank you so much for suggesting that. Guys, please check out Lee's podcast, Lights, Camera, Rant, and uh, I'm sure hopefully we'll hear more from Lee in the not-too-distant future there. Thank you again. And moving on to another suggestion from another podcaster this is just a written message from our instagram poll it's actually quite closely connected to ace's message that he sent in as well one of the films that ace mentioned as well the infinite film club i don't know who submitted this whether it was dan or george but the infinite film club submitted batman forever as one of their favorite films to watch or that they had watched as a kid in the cinema uh, and i know for a fact that the batman films especially tim burton's batman films as well got a lot of press with their toys that went to McDonald's, especially because they got lots of complaints about the toys that came out with Batman Returns because of the, I don't know, somewhat sexual connotations that were associated with the film and Michelle Pfeiffer's latex outfit and 
the penguin's weird interest in her and the weird noises that he made around her. You know, all these things that point towards parents complaining, saying that the film wasn't suitable for kids. I feel like that was the, you know, films these days are more age appropriate, which is a better thing. But at the same time, I think lots of us growing up who were in some respects scarred by some of these films kind of are appreciative of them because that they were so formative and yeah they scarred us because they were weird creepy and wacky like for instance return to oz it was released way before i was born but return to oz the walter murch film from 1985 i watched that film i thought it was bizarrely creepy but very endearing and i loved it and it's still one of my favorite cult classics to this day even though people say it is weird and wacky as hell I enjoy it so much. I even watch it, you know, I don't care if someone says, oh, what would you like to watch? Um, You know, any cult classics or weird out there films you like to watch, I will probably turn around and say, you know, next to Rocky Horror, Return to Oz is always going to be my favourite. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like certain people like me of a certain generation will relate to these films that are essentially a trip down memory lane when we watch them now but at the time they were so much more than just entertainment they were experiences that made us the people that we've grown up to be uh, and in a lot of cases that's very strange weird film nerds who just are obsessed with talking about things endlessly i don't know what sort of people would do that sort of thing they might even start a podcast one day <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, these films are my favourites. You know, Toy Story 2, The Iron Giant, Cars especially, the Thomas the Tank Engine film, the Shrek films. I love all the Shrek films, but Shrek 1 and 2 particularly, The Prince of Egypt, Return to Oz, and especially the blockbuster that is Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Because at the end of the day, the high state, that's as high as it got up with Harry Potter. I love Narnia. That was the next greatest fantasy franchise, which didn't quite get off the ground and didn't get all the exposure that Harry Potter did but I enjoyed it very much so and one final thing that I would mention as well another film that I can't miss out is the fact that I witnessed the original Spider-Man trilogy although I don't remember Spider-Man 3 as much as other people seem to be remembering it for that one in particular scene um, but I do remember Spider-Man 1 and 2 especially 1 because again it was a toy marketing franchise I had a little green goblin action figure I remember having the action figure from the film with the little chair which had Green Goblin's mask on it, like that you'd attach, and it would light the eyes would light up as soon as you attached it. It was it was a different time, shall we say, guys. But this episode really truly is all about my favourite films that I enjoyed. Please do, if anybody hasn't checked out some of the kids' classics, I've mentioned the ones that I've grown up with. Uh, Lee from Lights, Camera, Ramp podcast, Atlantis Lost Empire is his quote. Good Times, Bad Movies podcast. Toy Story, I agree with that guys I can't disagree, it's a brilliant film uh, The Infinite Film Club, Batman Forever, that's a different one but there you go, interesting if you want to watch Jim Carrey and uh, Tommy Lee Jones in something that's not Men in Black, you can treat yourself to Two-Face in that Ace, I appreciated your little voice note you sent us in there, thank you so much for that suggestion, uh, and finally Billy, again I can't disagree with Shrek 2, it is truly one of the best sequels to an animated film that I will ever have seen. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to me just sort of ramble on, really, about my favourite films that I've enjoyed as a kid and just hearing what other people from the community have had to say about the films that they've watched as 
they've grown up and very soon I shall be bringing you some more episodes that are a little bit more closer to home than you might think. I'm bringing you a couple of series and I'm going to announce it now. It's not coming out yet, but I will announce that one of the series, the next series of episodes, so I did the decade series last year, so I took a top five of each decade and I discussed it and then I made an ultimate top ten really of the old decades altogether. But this time I'm going to be looking at a franchise of films. I'm going to be doing an eight part series. That means one episode per film because they are such big films. It's going to be controversial because I know a lot, lot of people do like them. And there's obviously controversy surrounding their original source materials creator as well which we can delve into as well and will delve into a little bit as well in places where appropriate Um, but mainly the episodes will focus on the films and you know just reviewing them and i look to do in-depth reviews of each of the harry potter films Uh, that'll be going all the way from the philosopher's stone yes the philosopher's stone not the sorcerer's stone i should get into why i get annoyed about that in detail into the first episode all the way up through to the Deathly Hallows Part 2. And I will be doing an episode per film. So Deathly Hallows Part 1 will get an episode and Deathly Hallows Part 2 will get an episode. Um, I'm not doing an episode on the Fantastic Beast films because they're still ongoing. Uh, I have seen the latest one and let's just say I did enjoy it. It was better than the second one. That's just my quick opinion of that film. But at the end of the day, the series will be spanning from the first film all the way up to the eighth film in the original Harry Potter franchise. Um, That's not coming out just yet, that'll be coming out later this year. Can't wait to bring you those, and yes, there will be some special artwork to accompany these episodes, which will be designed by our lovely Keely Eastwood, uh, who has been doing all the artwork for Take 97 of late. So, Thank you again. Big shout out to Keely. Give her a follow as well. She does some great cracking work as well. So thank you so much, Keely, for all your work that you do. And I can't wait to bring you the episodes on Harry Potter. So before then, I will bring you some more episodes reviewing latest films. Um, I'm even going to do an episode on a recent film that I've been to see, uh, which I have mentioned already, and that is Sonic 2. Uh, I will probably do a double episode where I just mention both of the films and sort of combine them together and talk about my nerddom for how much I love Sonic the Hedgehog uh, and what I think was good, what could have been improved and just the general review bits really and I'm very excited to give you a live, well not even live, a full reaction to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness which is coming out very very soon and I cannot wait to see it I'm so excited and I can't wait to spill all the gossip and I'm hopefully going to be entering the multiverse once again because I did for Spider-Man with Ace and myself as well I'm looking forward to some crazy mind-bending stuff going on in that episode that episode is going to be a crazy episode but I'm looking forward to it so thank you so much again guys for contributing your time to the podcast and i look forward to speaking to you again soon about another brand new film release uh, a classic film and also just anything really film related if you have any suggestions for episodes please let us know i would love to get in touch and talk to any new creators and get collaborating with people once again now that the podcast is back up and running on a fairly regular basis so anyone who's listening thank you so much and i look forward to 
catching up with you guys again soon but if you're needing some more listening content please go back and listen to our brand new episodes that have just come out recently so our review on the batman still up spider-man no way home and obviously if you're listening to this you're one step ahead so thank you so much for listening guys that is a wrap on take 97 the childhood memories established in 1997 edition of the podcast and i look forward to bringing you something brand new on the next episode, guys. Thank you so much again, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.